This is episode 45 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar, Mark Sharon, Stephen Slate, and I will be talking today about how people break free from the addiction, treatment, and recovery trap. We are the co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction, and we offer a real solution that is individual-centered. We offer two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes, and that is at our beautiful private St. Jude Retreat, or through at-home Freedom Model private instruction, which we do via video conference. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and about the at-home Freedom Model private instruction program at LeaveAddictionBehind.com. And you can get information about all of our products at TheFreedomModel.org. So Mark has a topic today we're going to talk about. Yeah, so I had a a class this morning, uh, a private instruction class with with a person over in in Europe, and um, we were we were discussing uh, cravings, and um, let me go through what some of his concerns were, um, and I and we get this with so many of our students, whether it's at the retreat or whether it's over uh, you know private instruction over Zoom. Um, he said, uh, you know, I can be walking down the street, and going to get my coffee or whatever, shopping, and I have this thought that comes out of nowhere, literally comes out of nowhere, <laughs> hits me about drinking, that it'd be a really wonderful time to have a drink. And he goes, my God, it could be 10 o'clock in the morning, and and, and I have this thought. And um, and I, I get that, so I'm, I'm listening. And, and he says, but then I, I have to struggle with myself to not to not do it. Um, I know it's a bad idea, and usually I don't act on it, but I hate that it's a struggle. You know, I just hate that it's a struggle and that I even have to think about it. And it really does feel like a disease when I have these, you it know? It feels like it's powerful. It's something that's just happening to you. Yeah, that it, that it comes out of nowhere. And uh, and so before I go into what I, what I told him, I, I want to know what you guys think about that. So, um, you know... This idea that an idea that a that a thought comes out of nowhere, it hits you, um, and that you are forced to act on it. That was the implication of what he was saying. Now, he doesn't always act on it, which is what he told me, which is usually what a student says. I I don't always act on it, but sometimes I do, you know. And I go on a bender, and the next thing you know, three days have gone by, and it's it's a travesty. So, um, but in this case, he he's, he didn't act on it. Um, so what do you guys think about, uh, what, 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 what would you say to, to somebody like that? I would start with <clears throat> pointing out the fact that there's maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, right? If you ever sat down to catalog it, yeah. of thoughts that go through your mind every day when you yeah. have like downtime <clears throat> or you're just not thinking about anything in particular things just pop in all kinds of stuff right and you don't act on all those things so i i always start there by but we've been taught in the recovery world and with this idea of addiction that all of a sudden this particular thought if that pops out that has power over you and it's a special thing called a craving so i like to bring down the significance because it's a learned 
significance. Right. Yes. You know? So I like to bring down the significance by just comparing to the fact that if you actually ever sat and paid attention, you realize you have all these thoughts about all these other things popping through your head every day that you don't act on. So I start there. Right. Well, and the next thing I do is, because you said he, he didn't act on it, he doesn't act on it. Whenever anybody ever talks to me about having a craving, one, of course, thoughts can be habitual, right? right. So I'm like, so it's a habit. I mean, every day at three o'clock, I used to like crave a piece of chocolate or something. And, and, but I didn't always act on it. And when you start to invest in the thought, which is what happens, you, you actively crave, you invest in it. Um, the question I tell people to ask themselves is what's going to happen if I don't get it? What am I, what, you know, what's going to happen if I do go? Not not in a bad way, not I'm going to be off to the races, I'm going to eat a whole box of chocolates or whatever, yeah. um, or I'm going to go on a bender. But but if I just dismiss it and move on with my day, what's going to happen? Well, it's, yeah, and, and that's a good point. So I was I was talking to him and I said, he goes, why does this happen? And I said, okay, I'm going to give you an analogy. And I said it's this is how this works you have you have a conscious mind where you're aware of your thoughts right and usually when you're problem solving you're aware of a problem and you're solving it during your day um and it may not be a problem it may be a goal right you're aware of the goal i'm going to go to the store right now so you're aware of that and you'll probably remember having that thought but then there's a whole like steve said a whole host of thoughts that come into your consciousness or don't even come into consciousness, but that you're just having random spurious thoughts. Mm -hmm. Now you have those random spurious thoughts at times when you have a lapse of consciousness, of conscious thoughts. So it's like this, you're going down, you're driving down the highway and you're really not thinking about much of anything and you're daydreaming. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then when a deer jumps out, you have a very conscious thought to avoid that deer. And you don't remember the daydreaming, but you really remember acutely this event with with the deer. Now, during the time that you're just kind of relaxed and having thoughts flow in and out of your mind, um, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on in your in your mind. Now, every once in a while, though, you'll have a spurious thought that's important to you. And a, and a spurious thought is where you have this little space in time where your mind is searching for something to think about. Now, this all happens in, a, in an incredibly short period of time. We're talking milliseconds here because your, your mind and your brain never shuts off. So it's always seeking information, either what's in front of it or behind it. Now, if you're not consciously thinking about where you're going, there's a file cabinet of memories that sits behind you. And that file cabinet is filled with things that are important. And I call those things the devil you know. Okay? And so he's walking down the street, going to get his cup of coffee in the morning. He has this spurious thought out of the file cabinet. Because your mind will find some way to think about something. It can't not think. You have to actually train your mind not to think. That's what deep meditation is. Mm -hmm. It takes people sometimes decades to figure out how to slow down the mind. So we're not very trained in that. So our mind is constantly seeking information, relevant information. And if you're not thinking forward, you're going to think in the past. You live in the past. That's what that means. Now, the past is what? Is memories in a file cabinet. So 
as he's going to get his cup of coffee, he has a spurious thought out of the file cabinet. And it's probably one that he's thought a lot about because the mind will find something that it knows you know a lot about. It's a memory that was important to you. So it's very, it very quickly goes and it accesses this important thought that you've had 10,000 times, which is, I'd like some whiskey right now. Yeah. Right? You've done that for 30 years. Is it any shock that it would find that file? Right? Mm. It's got a big tab on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. It's, it's filled with all kinds of data that you really know well. Yeah. You know, you know how to drink. You know exactly what the result is. All these things. So, so it's got this spurious thought. But here's knowing this. Knowing that it's just accessing old information from a moment of boredom, a millisecond of boredom that your mind is seeking out information, do you have to act on it? Do you have to give it more relevance? Which is what Steve said. Do you really have to give it relevance? Do you have to say, I'm being run by this craving right now? Right. Now, if we have a spurious thought about another event in our life that that is on a different topic, that doesn't have all this baggage with it, all the societal baggage, baggage with your family, baggage with yourself, guilt attached to it, all this information, 30 years of history, right? Um, you probably, it'll come in your mind and leave. You don't hang on it. But we hang on this thing called addiction, right? Mm-hmm. We hang on that it's a craving. It's not just a spurious thought, like every right. other thought. <clears throat> right, right. No, not thing, meaningless. Yeah, as... As one person said to me, cravings live in your brain. Okay, now. Personified them. (laughs) Now, what happens is, when it gets personified is, you just take and you create another sheet, you put it in that file, Mm -hmm. and you amplify it. So you have just now reinforced the very thing that scares you so much. Because you've given it value by calling it a craving, Mm -hmm. by building it up, personifying it. Yep. Now you've made it human, like it's, it's an enemy man. living in your brain. Now the file cabinet is actually alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's bizarre stuff. It is. It is. It is. And, it's, and uh, yeah. I, you know, I tried to explain in uh, chapter three of the freedom model, like, hey, you don't have to look at it as a thing. Right? You know, I was yes. trying to help people around this problem. And, um, and to say... We've thingified it in the same way we've thingified addiction, you know, where it's just like, you know, it's it's this thing you battle. Yeah. And and you you don't have to look at a thought about using drugs or alcohol as a thing to battle. Craving. And I hate the word. I do too. Like, I know we all want to get away from the word. But... You know, what I what I tried to say is, like, you can look at that like an activity that you engage in or you don't. And I think maybe what I would have, I forget if I said it, but what I say in the discussion in class is, like, look, a thought is just a thought, right? I have a million thoughts about I might do this or that today. Yeah. If I latch on to that, the way, you know, the way I, I'll explain it in class a lot, and I say, oh, yeah, that will be good. And I, and I keep, you know, going on and on about thinking, oh, but don't do it. And, and now the more I engage, yes. like that's an act of craving, yeah. right? I tried to portray it as 
an act that you can engage in or not. And I think one of the biggest problems is people label, you know, they, I mean, like, we could say, let's just do away with this term craving altogether. But if we kept the term, right, the, 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 I think the key distinction is to say, like, that first thought, do you, you don't call that a craving. Right. It's sitting there and going, yeah, I need that, but I can't have it. And back and forth and back and forth, like that's a whole activity and you don't have to engage in it. You can say like, shit, I'm glad I don't do that no more. Yeah. God, I caused myself so much problems. Or like Michelle said, like, yeah, okay, so what if I did it? Would it fix the problem I'm going, you know, like depending on yeah, what you're thinking. Yeah, would it satisfy what I'm satisfy looking me, for? Right. Is, yeah. Or, you know, like, is it, do I need to feel, you know, you like you can downplay it immediately. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and like that's the attitude, and I feel like that's the attitude I learned at the retreat. Even though we never talked about craving, we did when I went right? to the retreat, never. But I learned an attitude of this is no big deal. You can quit. That's a choice, right? And so if I ever did have a thought, I was just like, it just went right by. That's right. I don't even, you know, and so there's this attitude, and I don't know. You know, we obviously do convey that to some people because they're like, oh, my God, it is so easy. Yeah. But I don't know a surefire formula to I, convey, like, you can laugh that off. And I know that's not because that sounds insulting to people. Oh, you can laugh at it. This has caused me so much trouble. But you can. Yeah. You, a thought can pop up and it can be literally like. Wow, those were some fucking crazy days. And I <laughs> yeah, that. you know what I mean. Well, They're just like well, what you're what you're describing then is moving on. Yes. Yeah. Now this moving on concept is is really important, especially in in this context because we also used an analogy. I said, D- "Did you remember your first love?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And I said, "I remember mine. It took me about a year to get to fully get over this girl, right? Because it was the first time I was ever in love." And I didn't know if I was ever going to be in love again. And drinking for me was like that, right? Um, so it, if the decision to drink and the habit to drink, if you've built so much um, mystery and if you put alcohol way up on a pedestal, massively up on a pedestal, well, then, then the craving is going to be stronger. I mean, that, the, the idea of it is going to be stronger. It's going to have more... Um, value to you. Yeah. The file cabinet will be more relevant in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it's like it's sitting there open in your periphery vision and the first time you well, decide to move on from that from that first love, you know, and, and when it when it hits you, I really can move on. I don't have to be heartbroken anymore. Yeah. And then you say, I'm going to go on a date with this other person and then very quickly you move on. Yeah. You know, because your gaze is no longer on this old file cabinet, this old right. relationship, this thing that used to. And here's the irony of it. When you go out with a new girl and another year goes by, all of a sudden that file cabinet's closed. But we don't do that with drugs and alcohol in our culture. We keep right. that file cabinet well, no, open. Yeah, we go into meetings and talk every day about, about how getting high would solve the problems I'm going through right now. But right, it but would I can't also do cost it. me all this other trouble you know so we we paint it as a solution every day we listen to people that talk about how hard it is to quit we say watch out for cravings we build up 
the whole idea of preventing cravings by avoiding triggers. And so we just build it, build it, build it, and we're always looking, like you said, right, still back at the old stuff, the alcohol. And, um, and it, we look back at it as both um, a bad thing and a good thing. It, it, we just, we, we're too focused on it. Yeah. I, I think we didn't talk about cravings when you came in because 20 years ago and 20 and 30 years ago when we started, it, it really wasn't a thing that was given power or value, not even back then. Like it, like it is with the brain disease model, all of a sudden in the yeah, early 2000s, it really point. became a thing that it was something that, you know, with all the relapse prevention yes. programs and oh, things yeah, like yeah. that, you know, that it was, oh, this is something we can point to. And so, you know, the way I explain it to people is it just like anything else in life, are you going to make an investment in this thought that came into your head? Are you going to, are you going to really invest in it? And by fighting a craving, you're investing in it. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's like a bad relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so your relationship with alcohol becomes, um, when we get somebody in class with us, is a contentious one, right? They still value it. Yep. It's like a bad marriage. They still value enough of the love. They're getting enough out of the relationship to stick it out, but they're getting beaten or mm-hmm. abused in some way. And they're saying, is it really worth it anymore? And... And so they're going back and forth and back and forth. Those tough decisions, they're tough decisions. When, yes. when there's value given to the object of your love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, when you look in the file cabinet, is it just a spurious thought or is it more than that? If you give it a ton of value, if it solves problems, yeah. right? If you still believe it has those problem-solving qualities, my God, you're going to want it. If you believe that the husband that's beating you still does love you and gives you some satisfaction and that's what you're worth, then you're going to continue to go back to that relationship. Yeah. And, and it may mystify you. It may mystify the people around you. But you're going to go back to what you love. So the question is, there's two things I think that happen with this whole craving thing. is One... Do you give alcohol or drugs problem-solving capability and real importance in your life? If you do, you're going to want it. Yes. Okay. And that's and so in that case, it's not spurious. That's, love. that's right. right. I was just going to say that's that. what I. You know, that's what I. That was one thing. Another correction I've been trying to make is say, hey, let's highlight this nuance because we talk about preference in the book, and and I want people to recognize it, what their wants in their current state, that's, that's right. been your preference. And, but I, but I want them also at a certain point to understand when they've really looked at it and they're like, shit, what's there? Nothing. You know, that then if a thought comes, comes up, not to just roll over and say, I guess this is what I prefer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. but right. to delineate and say, no, no, no. That right now, that's your spurious thought. That's right. And, and that's, this, this conversation about spurious thoughts is usually not the same conversation we're having at the beginning of classes when people are acutely just coming off of a bender and they've been drinking for six months. Yeah. You know, that, at that point, they still believe that alcohol and drugs have real value in their life. And we have to address that. Yes. Yeah. We're, what what this fellow was talking about, we've been in class for a long time. He gets it. He's had good periods of sobriety, but he's still struggling a little with spurious thoughts. Yeah. Right? And he's going, 
I don't know why this keeps happening. And I had to explain to him that this file cabinet actually freaking exists in your mind. And, and, and it should. You know, your memories are your memories. Mm-hmm. But it's not any more important than any other memory. Right. Yeah. At this point in your life, you can choose to say, eh, that's an old memory. That old girlfriend doesn't mean any, has no relevance. She has no relevance in my life now. Yeah. I have this other person in my life. Or I love being alone right now. Right? I don't have to even think about her. I can yeah. move on. So, uh, yeah. So that was the conversation. And uh, do you guys have anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I do either, but that was <laughs> okay. really quick. I, think, well, I would just say about topic. the file cabinet thing. I've used that file cabinet cabinet analogy before, and, and I heard a, a philosopher using it, and a, a guy who you know, philosophizes about mind and brain. And I really think we, you know, we take, uh, when we say, like, this helps me with stress, then what you're doing is you're sticking the alcohol file next to the stress file. Yeah, oh yeah. And so when you pull out a stressful thought, yes. that one sticks oh, that's a good to way it. To look that's at the it. way that's I think vision. about it. Yeah. It sticks to it, you know. So I think that's one of the biggest things we're trying to do in the Freedom Model is separate it and put it over on its own and say, no, it has no necessary connection to that. Can that's you mentally separate it? And um, and that was the whole point of learned connections, the learned connections chapter. That was the whole point chapter. of learned connections, yeah. yeah. Even though we didn't use that language, but yeah. that's the point. We can stop, let's like stop associating the, these things. But, um, you know, if you've made a habit of associating them, that's that's going to hang on for a little while. Yep. And it'll pop up. But it's just like anything, you know, I mean, I, could, we, I was doing improv for years and we would always do these word games and these warm-ups. And it's meant to just elicit all of this. <laughs> it opens the file cabinet. Associations. Of, yeah. All of your associations, all, all the subconscious stuff and to be able to let it out. And you realize there's a lot of stuff there and it'll pop out. And that's natural and normal. We're habit-making machines. That's right. We make a habit of thinking certain ways, associating certain things. And that's all right because we also make and break habits every single day of our lives. That's right. Um, so, you know, this, this you might get these spurious thoughts, but um, if you can be calm in the face of them, I think that's one of the most important things. Don't panic. Yeah. Just like, okay, it's normal for me to be having this thought. It's like you said that's, at the beginning. That's I've done this ten thousand times. So of course I'm thinking it right now. That's you right. know, of course this is what popped up. Um and it's, it should because this is why we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's right. Even uh, what's his name? Mark Lewis points it out, you know, because he's showing that addiction is is that what we think is the neurobiology of addiction is just the neurobiology of learning. Right. And yes. you know, and he's, saying, he's pointing out like this is this is what's supposed to happen in a healthy functioning brain is that it automatizes these certain things that you have shown by your repeated behavior work for you, make sense for you, That's right. and you want to repeat right. so it makes them normal and natural so you can walk and chew gum at the same time. But at any time that we find that we really have to change a habit and we get conscious about it. We can do that. It yeah. does. It changes again. So, yeah, can yeah, you imagine if every time you got in your car, you had to relearn how to drive? Yeah. Right. Or, or yeah. think about the way yeah, yeah. to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You had to actually sit there and think about every turn. That's right. But you, do, you know, you, you don't. don't. 
So, you don't. Yeah. You know where you're going. That's you, right. you know, you have That's that right. sits at the base of this. This if you have that basic understanding of habit, I mean, you know, what we call addiction is not all habit, but it's the habit part that trips people up in it, one of the it, biggest ways. Well, and and it's there's a tiny, tiny piece that I hear students say every time and I remember it. And it is when they are relaxed, they're like, everything's going good. I'm having a great day. And the idea just pops in my head. Well, that's right. because you're having a good day. It's exactly yeah. what you just described. And that is you're not dealing with another problem that has you distracted or focused. Right. So so what, what happens is your mind is kind of free to have spurious And thoughts. it goes back to your File preferred, that's right. your previously preferred that's, leisure activity. That's exactly right. And it just pops in your head because there's those little gaps where the, that file yeah. cap, that file fits well, perfectly. Right. And if it's coming in on good days, that indicates it's probably, this is what I do for leisure. Yes. And then yes. I get to ask yourself, am I bored of that shit? <laughs> yes, I am. There's a 10 million other things I could do with my time. That's why I quit in the first place. Yeah. Because yeah. I felt like it had become a job. Yeah. Well, I went, we, when we moved from Market Street out to here, I have to come to work a different way. Like, yeah. I have yeah. to cross the bridge close to my house to come here. I think it was probably because I went to Market Street for like 15 years. Right. So I think it took me two weeks yeah, to remember to yeah. cross yeah. the bridge. Yeah. And, and I'm like, hmm, I didn't cross the bridge again. <laughs> I had to go all the way to Amsterdam and then down. And it, it puts five extra minutes on yeah. my time and it would make me so angry. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I was addicted to going that way. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. be strange to frame it that way. Exactly. Yeah. But that's what they're doing. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they're doing. Now, I always use a similar example in class because everybody's had that kind of experience with something. And, and the quest here with the freedom model is constantly to like, Put this back in the norm, in yes. the in the realm of just normal human experience. Yeah, yeah, we get stuck in habits and patterns and repeat them in every area of life. In this one area, we've been taught that that's really significant, and and that and that, it means you're that shows you're and damaged, not normal, yeah. not normal, out of control, yeah. diseased. You know, and you're not you're not normal. At all. This is normal experience of life. Yeah, that's right. It totally is. I think we're going to wrap it up. I think this was really good. It was really good. We got right to the point. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, there's nothing wrong with them, but we can help. Um, and they want help breaking free and moving past addiction and recovery as well. You can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. At thefreedommodel.org, we have a bunch of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, eBooks. Um, we are still offering the digital editions of our full books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family, for free uh, on our website. All you have to do is go to thefreedommodel.org forward slash products, 
for the Freedom Model for Addictions, enter Freedom 100 at checkout. For the Family Book, you can enter Family 100 at checkout and you will get those for free. Um, you can get our paperback or Kindle versions on Amazon or you can go to one of the other online re retailers and order our books. If you have questions and want to reach us, call 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We also have three Facebook groups um, for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. And there are some great Leaving AA and Deprogramming Facebook groups as well. Um, if you are struggling with uh, detox. If you think you need a medical detox, check out our friends at Gallus Detox Centers. That's G-A-L-L-U-S-Detox.com. Um, and those folks are great and they will help you. And I, from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. Take care. Thanks.